Microsoft found that the number of weekly meetings is up 153% versus the start of the pandemic for the average Microsoft Teams user. At the same time, about 42% of meeting attendees are multitasking by sending email and other messages, and they think that understates it. I think this is very representative of a lot of companies, including ours. Yeah, I'm sorry, Todd. What were you saying? Because I, I was checking Slack. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to GeekWire from GeekWire.com in Seattle. I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. We are coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, business, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere, and every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest stories in the news or the things that we've been doing related to technology lately. And coming up later on, we both have been out there buying new smartphones, so we've got some insights to share. Excited to share my tips and everything I've learned with the iPhone 14. And not only that, but I want to hear how it's going so far in your family, which is the real question, because I'm about to make the same leap with a kid who's a little bit younger than yours, and I'm concerned about it. So I want to talk about that. I'm here to give great parental advice to you, Todd. First, John, there's a chill in the air today. It's getting to be late September. And it is almost time for the GeekWire Summit coming up October 6th and 7th in Seattle. If you want to check out the full agenda and purchase tickets for either in-person or online attendance, you can go to geekwire.com summit. John, this event over the past few years has been planned and organized by our team at GeekWire very differently than it was in the past. And it plays into some news this week for Microsoft about the nature of work and how work is changing. I've been thinking a lot about this. In the past, we would just be in the office overhearing things, shooting the breeze, brainstorming, impromptu sessions, and almost everything, not, not entirely everything, but almost everything is happening virtually now in Slack, on email, on conference calls, in the planning for this event. And it's kind of a microcosm in my mind of the changes that have happened. What's it been like for you as you get introspective about this? Well, we have planned and replanned and organized and reorganized the GeekWire Summit through the pandemic probably uh, a dozen times, you know, for just a couple of different events. So it's been a Roller coaster ride to say the least. I mean, you can remember what two years ago we were doing this event fully virtual. And so coming back to doing it now, where we do have a large in person component and of course a hybrid and virtual ticket as well, it's exciting. I'm excited about the lineup. I like the idea that people can tune in and watch from wherever they like. And also those that want to get the in-person experience, which I think will be fabulous, they can have that too. So I think on the work side, I don't know, I'm accustomed at this point to the virtual coordinating, using a lot of Slack and Zoom and Google Meet. And there's still benefits certainly of getting in the office and connecting face-to-face, -face, but I'll a lot of heavy lifting is certainly getting done over the internet and over a lot of the tools that are empowering us to work from wherever we'd like as we organize this event. My observation comparing it to years past is that it's more efficient in many ways, but it's less serendipitous at times. I think 
perhaps my favorite GeekWire Summit planning moment happened as many things at GeekWire, many of the best things happened at a bar where somebody was talking about the fact that GeekWire often gets misheard as Geek Choir. And therefore, we decided that at that event that year, we would have a Geek Choir. And it was awesome. Yeah. Well, one of our employees <laughs> at the time was like, I am part of a choir and maybe we could bring my choir out. And that's, yeah, it was wonderful. But I agree. Some of that serendipity is lost uh, in terms of just the creative energy that goes into the event. But it is a new world of work. It's a new world of events. And either you embrace it or you live in a cave, right? That's the point that Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella made at a Microsoft virtual event this past week. His point was, hey, folks, for anybody who's really wanting to return to the era before the pandemic, give it up. It ain't happening. This is the new reality, and this is what we're going to be living going forward. And in order for employees to thrive, multiple things have to happen. They have to have that sense of empowerment, uh, feel the energy, and do meaningful work. All three of those things have to be true and be measured and something that all leaders and managers have to drive. So uh, to me, I think that that's really the work in front of us, recognizing that this is a real structural change, uh, not hearkening back to 2019 or what have you, but now going leaning into what the expectations are going forward. I kind of knew that, but I got to say, for me, it was a little bit of a downer to hear that. And the thing that I struggle with setting aside the event planning is just the dynamic nature of a newsroom. I mean, I'm thinking back when we were at the newspaper, John, like I miss the newsroom. And that is one thing that I hope to get back. But Satya Nadella made it clear that that is not going to happen, or at least not on a large scale, full time in the office for most companies going forward. I think that's the key point, Todd. Many companies can embrace this new type of work, but a lot of professions aren't able to, you know, employ or activate a fully remote or hybrid workforce. It just doesn't lend itself to that, including many roles and many types of companies in the technology arena. If you think about hardware design or something along those those lines or biomedical research or, you know, so there's a whole host of components of the technology industry that aren't really well suited for remote or hybrid work. Those that are, I do think Satya Nadella is correct. I do think the world has absolutely changed. You know, one of the earliest companies that embraced this was a Seattle company, Zillow. Zillow very early on in the pandemic basically said, life has changed. And they went to a remote and hybrid uh, environment and pretty interesting in terms of how they are structuring their company. And I think that's the other thing that I actually kind of like out of all this. Each company is different. It's like it's like your children. You know, each kid is different. You can't parent your kid the same way for every, every kid. You know, it's like everyone is wired completely different. You have to adapt to the, your environment. And every company is different and has different needs. And so you have to adapt to that. And so I think you do see companies that are really across – the entire spectrum, which is, I think, really fascinating to think about companies that are requiring people to come back 
to the office. Those that are trying to do the hybrid approach and a mix of in-person and remote. And then those that have just said, we are 100% fully remote and it's uh, a new day of how we're going to operate. And across that spectrum, it's really quite interesting. And Todd, you mentioned the GeekWire Summit at the outset here. This is going to be one of the topics that we dive into this year at the summit. We've got a future of work panel with three companies, T-Mobile, Smartsheet, and Qualtrics, which are all taking kind of different approaches to how they're bringing their workforces back. And they're going to talk about the challenges that each model has represented. I'm really excited about that session at the summit. And then in addition to that, we have Jamie Tevan, who is Microsoft's chief scientist, really on the research side, diving into some of the data that they've picked up about how companies are working now. And she'll be talking about that on the GeekWire Summit stage. And we actually got a little bit of a preview of that in this Microsoft event that I was talking about earlier. The stat that really stood out to me was the disconnect between workers' perception of their productivity and leaders' perception of workers' productivity. 87% of the workers among the 20,000 people surveyed on behalf of Microsoft said they believe they're productive at work. 87%. 12% of the leaders, only 12%, said that they're fully confident those employees are productive. And it reminded me of that old phrase, you hear it in a lot of the old management books, management by walking around. And I think a lot of leaders and companies still want to see with their eyes the fact that people are working. And of course, you've had the high-tech equivalent of that in a kind of nefarious way in some respects, this whole notion of surveillance technology, monitoring workers. On another front, though, there was a stat that I think really reflects our workforce. <laughs> I think I know which one you're going to say. <laughs> yes. So yes. let's get into that right after this. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We're talking about the future of work, and we're getting a little bit of a preview of the GeekWire Summit, where this will be one of the topics that we're discussing on October 6th and 7th in Seattle. John, that stat that I was referencing before the break was this. Microsoft, in addition to surveying people, they actually have the ability to take anonymized aggregated data across a huge number of workers, right? Because they've got Microsoft 365, Outlook, Teams, they really can get a sense for what's happening. And they found that the number of weekly meetings is up 153% versus at the start of the pandemic for the average Microsoft Teams user, which I think you can probably say is at least somewhat representative of the population. And this, they're saying, is the new normal. And then at the same time, about 42% of meeting attendees are multitasking by sending email and other messages. And they think that understates it because they can't actually see when you're browsing the web or anything like that, reading email. And so I think this is very representative of a lot of companies, including ours. Yeah, I'm sorry, Todd. What were you saying? Because I, I was checking Slack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was good. Touche. Touche. <laughs> uh, no, I am 100% guilty of this. And I I will admit, even on the GeekWire podcast, I have I have been known to pop out for but a moment and new. check, check Slack new. and send an email or two. But, of course, you have my full attention right now as we talk about this very serious topic. But You, now, had, me, you had me there for a split second. You really had me. That was good. Um, but I don't – yeah, maybe this is my personality, but – I've always been multitasking. It drives my wife up the wall that uh, I, I remember don't time, always listen to what's going on. Yes. I, yeah. I actually have a very distinct memory of a time we were in the studio together and you were clearly just like sending – we must have had a high-pressure event coming up or something. We were doing the podcast and I said to you, hey, are you on the show or are you doing email? One or the other, not both because it doesn't work. And then and I think it's you stopped right. for – a while. Yeah, no, I've <laughs> largely stopped doing it, but um, you're right. I mean, it, that was, I'm glad you called me out. I think that is true. I mean, if you are going to be committing to something, you should be at least 90% in. In that inst- instance, I was probably about 40% in because I was. And what I learned from that, Todd, is if I'm too busy with other things, then I just say I can't do it. <laughs> you know, I'm too busy or take this show on your own or what have you. Which is better. It's better for everybody. There was another part of the survey and your story that really surprised me, a term I had never heard before as it relates to the future of work. Was it LARPing? I'd never heard about LARPing before. LARPing. L-A-R-P-I-N-G. John, you know what? I had to look it up. It's attributed to an author and workplace expert by the name of Anne Helen Peterson. L-A-R-P. Live action role playing your job. <laughs> in other words, in this era where managers, perhaps the worst of them, are looking at your activity more than they are your productivity, the pace of your work more than the value of what you put out into the world, there is some merit short term and potential rewards to be gotten from pretending. Pretending like you're working effectively, live action role playing your job. Did that resonate with you? Do you run into that? Not so much, but I. I know you don't do it. <laughs> no, because I, I I live my live my work. <laughs> the thing that's interesting here is that you have a lot of these terms getting tossed around right now. Now, the term I have been reading about is another term, and I'm going to quiz you: quiet quitting. Okay, so quiet quitting and LARPing seem like they're in the same ballgame here, right? Quiet quitting is this concept of you basically stay in your job, but you do the bare minimum. What historically we'd probably say is somebody's just coasting, right? There are people that are just coasting through their job. And quiet quitting has kind of been the new buzzword that's out there. But I don't really see what's the difference between LARPing and quiet quitting, or is there one? So. I'll tell you what, this is my perception of it. Quiet quitting is much more passive aggressive. You're hoping you don't get noticed. <laughs> so it's very prevalent in Seattle. Well, you wouldn't know. <laughs> quiet quitting is like a Seattle attribute, right? <laughs> Since right. It's a passive right. aggressive style. LARPing, on the other hand, this is my perception. Now, others could have different definitions, but just from the reading I've done, LARPing, on the other hand, is much more like you're on stage, like, oh my God. I got this done and this done and this done. And maybe I am guilty of this, John. (laughs) Are you LARPing this podcast? (laughs) 
Uh, I get it. Yeah. So LARPing has a little more theater behind it to show, like, really play up the idea that you're working hard when eh, you're not really working hard. Quiet quitting is just you're coasting. You're not doing much work and you're not even talking about it. You do the bare You're really hoping nobody notices. Yeah. Yeah. That's my sense. Yeah. That's my sense. Well, I can't wait to talk to the experts about some of this when we have them at the summit. I'm really fascinated with the way – the workplace has changed just so radically in the last two years. It's it's a fascinating area. Coming up next, our smartphone adventures. You're listening to GeekWire. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. John, I checked out the site last week and it was weird. I was like, wait a second, there's this list on the site in John's handwriting, what's going on? <laughs> you had this list of rules that you had created for your son. Not rules, Todd. Rules is too heavy-handed. What, what would you call them? Terms and conditions. Terms. <laughs> <laughs> is that seriously what you called yes. them? Yes. What would you? That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> your son is how old? Turning thirteen. In about a month and a half. And has he gained possession of his new smartphone yet? Yes, he has. And this was the subject of your post. You were nervous about it. You wanted to make sure that it went well. How's it going so far? Uh, It's going splendidly, really. I don't know if we're in some sort of honeymoon period where he's just so excited about having his device that he's like doing almost everything he's told, he's checking in, he's like being very respectful. You know, maybe he's LARPing, but... uh, (laughs) Nice callback. Yeah, maybe, but we're we're doing pretty well with everything. Todd, you're referencing these rules that I wrote out. I, I really just did this kind of spur of the moment. I spent 30 minutes and I started writing them down and I kept writing more and more down and Uh, came up with kind of this, not really a contract because it wasn't so heavy handed that I had him sign something or, you know, sign his life away as it related to him getting his new iPhone 8 plus, which is my old iPhone 8 plus. Uh, and we'll talk about that later because I have an amazing upgrade to the new iPhone. We'll talk about that. (laughs) And, and frankly, you know, I, I, I threw this out on Twitter first. I threw the list out on Twitter and I actually asked people, I was like, Hey, if anybody has any feedback, uh, I'd love to hear it. And you know who jumped in and provided some of the best feedback to me? Famous professional athlete from Seattle. Great guy, former University of Washington Husky men's basketball player, Seattle Supersonic, Detlef Schrempf. Oh, you're kidding Detlef me. Schrempf. I missed this. Yeah, Detlef's great. Great guy and a father and so, you know, and with some older kids. And I just really respect him a lot. And his point to me after he saw my list and saw my tweet about it was something along the lines of, hey, when you present it, kind of present it to him in partnership, not in a, like kind of a 
top-down hierarchical, hey, this is the way you got to live by these rules, you know, but like work with them on it and talk talk it through with them. And, and that was really great advice because when I presented this list to my son, I did it in that context. I, I did it in the context of like, hey, these are rules that I kind of want our entire family to, to follow. And it's going to be good for all of us because, for example, the find my phone feature, like, hey, I want you to be able to track where I am too at times and you can track me. So this is beneficial to both of us. And so that was some really great advice. I probably would have bungled it had I not gotten that. Probably would have been like, you know, the jerky top-down structure of this is how it is, and now you've got this phone, and you got to listen to everything I say about it. But it was it was coming at it more from the approach of be collaborative with him as you present this, and it's kind of a work in progress. And that was great. The style and that approach really worked. You know, knock on wood, but things are going pretty well. Thanks for asking. And I know you're thinking about this now. Yep. So a couple questions for you. Looking at your list, did you actually put you put screen time limits on him? Well, that was the part of my list that I actually actually that was probably the most collaborative part of our discussion, Todd. Because if you look at my original screen grab of my written list, I left that blank, and that was one thing I really wanted feedback from the community on, and I got some really great tips from folks. And I talked it over with my son, and I was like, "Well, what do you think? Do you want to put a set?" hour here? I mean, because you have your hours you've done in the past. What do you think? And, and he, of course, really didn't want that. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I think that was probably our most collaborative component of it was deciding together that we weren't going to put any time limits other than the most important thing. And this is one thing I'm holding very firm to. He can't have the device in his bedroom during sleeping hours. So from 9.30 p.m. to 9.30 a.m., no way. We dealt with him having his iPad basically all summer in the room, and it was bad news. So you got to get the devices out of the bedroom, which, you know, another rule that parents should also be following. Yes. Oh, absolutely. My best nights of sleep are the nights when I leave my phone outside of the bedroom. So are you using any kind of tech controls, parental controls at all to limit or not just screen time, but the types of things he can do? No. Okay. No. Yeah, that's our debate. We don't have any sort of parental controls on what he's able to look at. What we do and we have communicated to him is that it's our device. We own it. We have every right to check it at any time. We have all the passcodes to it. And so at any point, we can get on there and check out what's going on. And, you know, we were very clear with them as one of the terms and conditions, you know, no browsing inappropriate behavior, no cyberbullying, none of those activities are permitted. But, you know, these kids are so exposed to so many things already, it blows your mind. I think, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube on this in terms of trying to like control what they see and get access to, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. I, I guess maybe I'm a year behind you because I'm still like looking at common sense media and trying to figure out whether things are appropriate to watch or not. For me, for parents with kids and their phones, the killer app is clearly the location 
tracking and just a clear understanding that this is a, a primary purpose is communication and safety. And that's what we've tried to get across. And then last week when the phone was on its way, there was suddenly a discussion of Animal Crossing Pocket Camp that I didn't fully understand was happening in the context of this safety and communication discussion that I was having. So, you know, hey, how are you liking your iPhone 14? You know, Todd, I like it, but I will say, you know, I am a late adopter of technology. I hang on to technology for a long, long time. The reason I had the iPhone 8 Plus. So how many generations is that? Seven generations of uh, phones that we've seen since since my since I last upgraded. I gotta say, it's not that big of a leap, and I think that speaks to where we're at with the world of smartphones. That you know, going five years between purchases, five six years between purchases, really? Yeah, I mean, there's some cool features and. It's it's better, but it's not five times better than <laughs> versus the early years of when you were upgrading iPhones. I think there was pretty extreme advancements. I think they've just hit a peak of what they can innovate with as it relates to the smartphone. So, and you've certainly seen this written about that we're hitting the period of saturation and the innovation limit has kind of been reached as it relates to mobile and cell phones. I think we're at that point based on my experience. Yeah, it's time for Apple to move on to cars and augmented reality, perhaps in terms of their yeah. main frontiers I mean, of innovation. Th there are some cool things that I'm committing to with the new device. And the biggest one, and Todd, you're going to get a kick out of this. The biggest thing I'm committing to with the iPhone 14 is, you know, I've got that bulky, heavy duty leather wallet that's got like 30 cards in it. It's got like my Vax cards. It's got my, yeah, yeah. like it's got like old licenses in it. It's got AAA cards. It's got like photos of my niece and nephew from, you know, 20 years ago. It's it's just loaded it's, with all this junk. More, and more and, file cabinet than yeah, it is wallet. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's at least two inches thick. And I walk around with this thing in my pocket so the big commitment I have is that I bought a case with the wallet attachment. So wait a second. I, there's this big buildup, this big buildup. And I'm thinking, John's going to tell me he's he's fully in on Apple Pay, baby. He's going well, totally it, walletless. It's, it's part okay. of that. It, it, that is, that is another okay. thing I'm going deep on, especially as it relates to my son, too. My son went down to the fair yesterday. And I get a text message from him, Dad, can I have 25 bucks for the fare? Gosh, how easy is it just with Apple Pay to ship him 25 bucks from my account? So we did set up the family sharing and the family sharing plan with Apple Pay so I can send him money. And and my son loves using Apple Pay. Uh, sure. You know, and that's just <laughs> – so I actually am all in on that. But I'm not as excited about that as I am – Getting rid of my stupid, thick, two-inch wallet that's in my pocket and switching to this new system. My one complaint, I think it's extremely hard to find the flashlight. <laughs> swipe down from the right <laughs> ear, press the button. Is that hard? How do you do it, Todd? I assume you swipe down from the right ear. I haven't used an iPhone in five years, but I think that's how you do it. Swipe down from the right ear, like, you know, up to the right of the... Hey. There you go. Problem solved. I love this, Todd. All I'm right. so Tech, thankful. Tech support. 
There it is. I'm, I am I am so thankful for the GeekWire podcast for teaching me a little trick. Thank you. Leo Laporte, look out. And if you get that <laughs> reference, you're going to think that was hilarious. <laughs> I won't bore everybody with my details. I did do a LinkedIn post with all of my notes on the switch that I made and the trade-offs that I made in switching from T-Mobile to Verizon and in better news for our local wireless company. John, you actually switched from AT&T to T-Mobile. So we kind of, uh, I feel like we evened out. We're doing all sorts of trades here, aren't we? Yeah. T-Mobile's coverage has gotten a lot better. It's not a slam on them at all. The coverage in my hometown in Northern California, where I've been spending a little more time with my parents, it's not good. And my parents' coverage on Verizon is rock solid there. So it's so situational. You know, you look at those big coverage maps and it's like, okay, great, great. Yeah, but if you need it in one specific spot and it's not there yeah. or if it's bad there, it really has a negative impact. It's like politics. All wireless maps are local. Well, my only rant was the lack of ability to find the flashlight easily, and now you've <laughs> solved my problem. Anything else that I can do for you on this device no, that I haven't used for no. five years? Okay, I, th I think well, I'm, let me know. I think I'm in good shape now. Just one last reminder, GeekWire Summit, you can tune in virtually or you can attend in person. I'm looking forward to it, John. I got to say, the lineup has come together, and I think it's one of our best, if not our best ever, Magic Leap, Microsoft, Amazon, Aurora, the self-driving car company, all, all sorts of interesting folks. Be sure to go to the GeekWire Summit page and check it out, and I'll stop plugging there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Kurt Milton edits and produces our show. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Be sure to rate and review the GeekWire podcast in your favorite podcast app. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your preferred device and podcasting platform. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thanks for listening to the GeekWire podcast.